0: Listeners, welcome back to the next episode of Ladies First, your podcast featuring truly amazing and inspiring women. It's Alina here, and today I'm with Rachel Carpenter, co-founder and CEO of Intrino, who is also on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. So thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, you- Alina, thanks for having me. Of course. So I would love to hear more about your company. Yeah, so I run a technology
1: startup. um, And what we do is we sell financial data. So if you think about any industry, they all have their own version of raw materials. Like if you're building a house, the materials that you need are wood and hammers and nails. Uh, In finance, the raw materials that you need to make investments is data. So if you wanna buy stock in Facebook, you need to know what Facebook's stock price is, for example, or how much revenue Facebook is making. Um, But historically, access to that data has been really restricted. So anybody that wants to get access to the data, maybe to make their own investments or maybe make an investment tool, it's really hard to get access to the data. It's expensive, and so what our company does is we have rebuilt the supply chain for that data and found ways to source and clean and distribute data feeds really effectively. So a good example of how you might see our data in the wild is say maybe you have a mobile app on your phone and you're looking at different stocks and you see a stock chart, the data could be coming from Intrinio. The data inside of that app, it could be powered by Intrinio data. So we're kind of like plumbers behind the scenes, piping data through, but it's fun because our data gets to come alive inside of some pretty cool apps uh, that are bringing the finance industry forward.
0: And what kind of prompted you to start this?
1: It's a good story actually. So originally my co-founder and I were living in Chicago and we wanted to build our own financial app um, and we got to work on it. We both had backgrounds in finance and accounting um, and we actually taught ourselves how to program, which was quite a journey. So we both uh, learned how to, how to code and we got this app started But the data that we needed to power it, because it was an investment, like a finance related app, the data that we needed was around $70,000 a month. So you can imagine if you're an entrepreneur and you have an idea to start your own business and you want to build this app, and then all of a sudden you can't even move forward unless you can pay $70,000 a month. It was a huge roadblock for us. And so it kind of crushed that entire dream and we realized, wow, data is super inaccessible. And anybody that wants to innovate in this industry can't really get access to it. So let's find a way to tackle that problem instead. So we got really angry, in essence, that we couldn't afford the data. And so we wanted to find a way to, to streamline that process.
0: And how did you find the best way to do that?
1: Oh my goodness. Over the course of many years, <laughs> we sell access to dozens of different types of data. But it took us three almost three years to build just data set number one because there was a big learning curve. And so um, our technology that we have today is kind of a series of algorithms and different machine learning technologies that has totally evolved over time. So we started very basic with just basic algorithms, incorporated machine learning, got smarter over time. So the underlying technology is constantly changing. Um, and it was a big, a big learning experience for my, my co-founder and I to go through all of that. Um, but it was it was a combination of just thinking through how can we automate this like any entrepreneur innovator you look at a a problem or a process and you say there's got to be a better way to do this and so you kind of bang your head against the wall and try different things and iterate and then eventually you land on a really innovative solution which is what
0: happened for us and what kind of sets you apart from bloomberg good question
1: so we
0: don't necessarily want to replace
1: the bloomberg terminal Um, So the product that we sell is very technical. There's different ways to consume financial data. If you're a financial analyst or an investor but you're not a programmer and you're not very technical, you need a Bloomberg terminal or you need an app or you need a website. You need some type of an interface or a user experience around you. And that's not what we do. We sell the API or the data feed to the people that are gonna build those tools. So you kind of have to be a programmer or an engineer to use our product. Um, because it's very technical. So the type of person who's going to sit at a Bloomberg terminal is not the type of person that's going to use our product. Um, So there's another whole part of the financial industry, which is kind of like systematic trading and investing. And in that realm, those are the types of users that want to build their own algorithm or their own model or their own dashboard or their own tool. If you want to build something or build an algorithm to invest, that's much more of a use case for us. Um, And so those are the types of clients that we go after. A lot of the companies that buy our data also have Bloomberg terminals. So for the analyst, they can use the terminal. For the quant or the engineer, they can use our product. So it's not necessarily that we think Bloomberg terminals are gonna go away. Um, It's just a totally
0: different type of user that's gonna use that product. So has COVID affected your access to the data you use? That's a very good question.
1: Um, No, so it hasn't affected the access. The stock exchanges keep moving even during a pandemic. Um, And in fact, investing goes up typically because there's a lot of volatility. People are trading really quickly, maybe trying to get out of stocks or maybe they're trying to get out of airlines, but get into other other types of companies. And so there's actually a lot of movement in the market. Markets are still moving. Stock prices are still coming in through the exchanges. Um, Public companies still have to file their financial statements. So the good news is that even during a pandemic, the markets keep moving. Um, And if the markets are moving, the data is flowing. And so we source our data directly from the stock exchanges, so from NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange, BATS, IEX, um, and then also from the SEC, all institutions that keep chugging whether or not there's a pandemic. So we're lucky. Uh, A lot of companies struggled, I know, over the past year, but um, we were able to keep moving, which is good.
0: Is it ever affected by the US foreign policy? Not so much. we source most
1: of our data from right here in the United States. Um, we do source international stock prices through a couple different partners. Um, but relatively speaking, the data is open for people to go source. And most of the stock exchanges internationally will work with people anywhere. So regardless of the United States foreign policy or relations anywhere, we typically can go out and get data from markets all over the world. Uh, and we have customers all over the world too. So. Um, that's usually not an issue for us.
0: And does your software convert everything to the user's local currency automatically in real time? Um,
1: no. In some cases, yes. But usually the engineers on the other end have to do that transformation by themselves.
0: So what do you do
1: on a typical workday? Ooh, that is a good question. Um, it can vary widely. Um, My number one priority is my team. So I spend a lot of time with my leadership team, my CTO, my CFO, my chief operating officer, head of sales, checking in, doing meetings and and planning with them. Um, We do team-wide meetings on Monday. Um, We do trainings across the team. So a lot of team meetings throughout the week because that's number one priority. Second priority is the customers. So I step in because we're still an early stage startup. We've got about 27 employees. Um, So I play a pretty big role in sales. If there's a big sale that comes through a big partnership, I tend to hop on those phone calls as well. Um, strategy is also big. I need to stay on top of our competition and the markets and the way things are moving. So that involves a lot of research, hopping on the phone with other founders, other CEOs, friends in the industry, uh, partners, investors, advisors. So there's a big chunk of strategy. It's important to set aside time for that and planning for the future. Um, and then also investors. So we've raised uh, about seven and a half million dollars in financing. And so we've got a a list of investors, um, that are stakeholders in our business. And it's my job to keep them up to date, answer their questions, go to board meetings, um and then also be thinking about next fundraising rounds coming too. So, fundraising is a bit cyclical. We're not currently fundraising right now, so it doesn't take up too much of my time to keep our current investors up to speed. Um, but taking care of the investors and stakeholders is, is important as well. So, it can vary widely. As I do PR as well and, and marketing. I'm kind of the face of the company. So, I do podcasts like this, I speak on panels, I give speeches. Um, I have to, have, have to kind of have a voice out there and be a thought leader as well. So, team meetings, strategy planning, investors, customer calls, podcasts, PR. It is a wide range of of things, Um, but it's fun. No no day is the same and there's a fair amount of putting out fires here and there as well.
0: And what is the fundraising that you guys do? So we've raised
1: uh, technically three different rounds of, of capital. The first was kind of like an angel fundraising round where we raised from individuals who gave us small amounts of money just to get things started in the beginning. Then we raised a seed round, which was a little bit more official. Um, we raised a million dollars in that seed round. Um, and then we raised a series A round, which was from actual institutional investors. And so um, we raised $5 million in our series A round. So we went through three different rounds of fundraising, all to kind of finance expansion, put more money into product development, hire new people for the team, um, office space, legal fees, all the above to just keep, keep the business afloat and running and give us some runway to keep building innovative things.
0: Do you see like a record of where the fundraising comes from, where the money that gets donated comes from? Um. Yes.
1: So we keep what, what we call a cap table. So we keep track of all the investors in the company. Um, but when you raise venture capital from a venture capital fund, they typically have their own investors too. You don't always get to see who those, they're called LPs, limited partners. You don't always get to see who those people are. So Say you raise money from a venture capital fund that is a $500 million fund, and they're taking that $500 million and investing it into a bunch of different startups, that $500 million that they're investing, maybe they only gave us five, but of that fund, it's coming from a bunch of high net worth individuals, sometimes uh, sovereign wealth funds, um, other venture capital firms, you don't necessarily know where all of the money is coming from, but it's funneled through one venture capital firm, and that's the, the face of the firm, and who you, who you deal with on a regular basis.
0: So what do you think is the most challenging part about what you do?
1: Oh my goodness, that's a good question. Um, early on in the company, when we were really small, fundraising was the biggest challenge, having to pitch and go out and talk to investors and ask them for money. Um, that was a big challenge. Uh, Being a woman can be a little bit of a hindrance in this industry. You know, I'm sitting at the intersection of finance and technology, which are very male driven. Um, But honestly, that wasn't a huge problem for me. Um, Of course I had bad experiences. There were guys that didn't take me seriously. Um, But for every guy that didn't take me seriously, there were 50 others that were totally respectful and wonderful and loved what we were doing. And a lot of women investors, a lot of female investors I was talking to as well. So that wasn't as much of a problem, but just raising capital is hard. If you've never done it before, you've never raised money from investors, figuring out how to put a pitch deck together, different terms of the investment, different types of investors. There's a lot to learn and you kind of have to learn as you go. So in the beginning with no prior experience, fundraising was, was a big challenge for me. Um, and I would say my big challenge now is, is scale. Um, it's easy to get your company going, get to the first stage, but figuring out how to continually evolve and grow and build the company. Everything changes when you get to a new stage. So where we were at with two employees was a totally different place from when we got 10, and then we got 14, and then 21, and now 27, and the whole business and company is a different, it's a different beast at each stage of the journey, and you have to be really agile, um, and figure out, figure out how, to, how to be flexible as the company evolves over time.
0: I was actually going to ask you that, about that. It's, it's really interesting to me because, you know, based on my knowledge of this type of field, it is really male dominated. So I'm sure you just talk with a lot of male partners and, and things like that. Yeah. My
1: advice when I talk to other women is typically try not to think about it because the more we get in our heads thinking that we're the only woman in the room or we're a female entrepreneur or a female CEO. That's not what you should be thinking about, right? It's just going to distract you and it's going to make you nervous. I got to the point really quickly in, in the beginning of my journey where I didn't even think about it anymore. I would, I would all of a sudden halfway through a pitch, look around the room and go, oh, I'm the only woman here. Interesting. Uh, or be meeting with a customer and experience the same thing. But you go through days, weeks at a time without thinking about it. And that's the sweet spot. That's where you want to get because that just exudes, exudes confidence. Um, you're not second guessing yourself. You're not worrying about it. And I always encourage, for example, when I speak on a panel, if they title the panel women, female entrepreneurs or female, female uh, founders panel, uh, I try to encourage them to take the word female out, right? Because it kind of almost puts a label, it puts, puts us in a box a little bit. Um, and I always think about maybe there's a younger girl in the audience who's watching. Now all she's thinking about is, oh, I'm a female scientist. Oh, I'm a female business owner. When in fact, she's just a scientist or just a business owner, right? And if she can see a world where she just naturally fits into the scientist category without having to label it, I think that's going to be a much healthier place. And so my advice might be a little controversial, but it's don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Get out of your head. Just think of yourself as a founder, a business owner. And in my experience, you can't avoid all of the jerks out there. But if you can at least get into that headspace and be really confident, it'll, it'll shine through and it'll pay dividends for you.
0: I think it could also be like a lot of motivation. Like if you are the only woman in the room, then like, cool, like represent them, like show yourself, prove yourself. So I always kind of like to think about it like that also, like you are a woman, like that is great. And you can show that you can do it or you're just as smart or just as hardworking. So I like that you mentioned that. So on the other end of it, I asked you, you know, one of the hardest things you kind of kind of deal with. So what is your favorite thing about what you do?
1: There's there's two pieces to that. The first is my team. I have a philosophy where I try to hire people that are way smarter than me and surround myself with really, really smart people. I'm the CEO, but they're running the ship, if you really think about it, right? I have I've surrounded myself with a team of really smart people who can make good decisions and I need their input at every step of the journey. Um, And so being able to work with such brilliant people and get to choose who you work with and hire those people and put really smart people in place. It is so much fun to work with our team. Everyone is off the charts, smart um, and really hardworking and dedicated and invested in the success of the business. And so getting to choose to work with smart people and enjoy who I'm working with, that's the best part about the job. Um, and then also just being in charge, right? It, it's it's both the scariest and also the most thrilling thing to have the future of the company 100% in my hands, which means I can build whatever journey I want to. Um, and that's, it's, it's scary, but it's also really, really exciting. Um, I was an entrepreneurship major I double majored in finance and entrepreneurship, but I found out early on in my life that I just never wanted to work for somebody else ever again. Um, And it's been great. I don't think I could ever do it. Honestly, Uh, you have to be really self-motivated, but it can be really fun to, to run the ship and run the show. Um, So that's, that's also a fun piece of it.
0: So I think you kind of touched on this also, but if you could give one piece of advice to all of our listeners, more so to the young female listeners, what would that piece of advice be?
1: I think that whether or not you're starting your own business, if you're a female in the workforce in any industry, no matter how challenging, resilience is the most important thing. Um, whatever it is that brings you down, there will be something that brings you down, and it will happen a lot. I always think about my journey as being a roller coaster, and I could tell you so many stories at the bottom of the of, of the roller coaster where I was like, "This is it. It's ending. I can't go on. It's too hard. I, there's no way I'm getting through this. The business is going to fail." The roller coaster always goes back up. Um, you have to believe in yourself and know that you're capable and, and enough to get through the bottom dips in the roller coaster because they're going to come. Maybe it's a man who doesn't take you seriously. Maybe it's a door that gets shut in your face, uh, a product that doesn't work out right. Starting a business is harder than you thought. Whatever it is, the roller coaster is going to go down. Just remember that it goes back up, and as long as you remember that, you'll have the resilience to get through it. Um, those, those hard times are going to come, especially for the women listening that want to start a business. So, um, really give some thought to resilience and just remember things go back up again.
0: Well, thank you so, so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. This is Alina Peary and tune in next time for another special guest.